Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Glad to have you along for another edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. We still need a lot more, but so far the month of March has been pretty good to most of the Texas High Plains when it comes to precipitation. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. A bill in the Texas legislature addresses modifications to the Farm Animal Liability Act. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Will the death tax die? Bipartisan bills have been filed in Congress to kill the federal estate tax, which would help family farms stay in the family. I'm Gary Joyner, and I'll have those details on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Texas farmers now have more time to apply for aid through the Quality Loss Adjustment Program. Jessica Domel has the story. The U.S. Department of Agriculture extended the program deadline to April 9th due to winter storms and some clarification to program rules. QLA assists producers who suffered crop quality losses due to qualifying natural disasters in 2018 and 19. QLA is available to farmers whose eligible crops suffered quality losses due to drought, excessive moisture, flooding, hurricanes, snowstorms, tornadoes, wildfires, and other natural disasters. Eligible crops include those for which federal crop insurance or non-insured crop disaster assistance program coverage is available except for grazed crops and value loss crops. Farmers may apply at their local Farm Service Agency office. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The Texas Beef Council is working to promote beef by following the beef industry long-range plan. Dan Gaddis is a cattle producer near Austin and vice chairman of the Texas Beef Council. He says the council met recently to discuss that plan. We spent all day looking at our long-range plan and how it um, coincides with the national plan. What are the best things that we do uh, through Texas Beef Council? And Gaddis feels the TBC is on the right track, especially when it comes to following consumer data. Consumers are thinking much more about the nutritional aspects of what they eat, and that is a great thing. I'm glad they're concerned about that because we have such a good message and scientific data to show that we have a nutrient-dense product in beef that meets the needs of what we have nutritionally, and it's, um, it's a safe product. It's a healthy product. Dan Gaddis, vice chairman of the Texas Beef Council. So far, the month of March has been a pretty good one for bringing precipitation to the Texas High Plains. James Hunt takes a look from Amarillo. We continue to lament the fact that much of the western portion of our region has been missing out to a large degree, but thanks to some significant rain and snow events, a lot of our area is actually seeing precipitation totals for the month running above normal. One location with cause to celebrate is Ockeltree County, where Scott Strawn is the extension agent. We were beginning 
to get into a dry spell. And when you look at the northern tier counties in the Panhandle, we haven't been quite as dry throughout the fall and winter months as, as you head south. But we were beginning to dry out as well. February was a month where uh, it was pretty uneventful as far as precipitation. So, yes, this was very beneficial. Strawn says in recent days about an inch or more of precipitation was delivered across the county where the wheat crop is moving into growth and development. When you look at March, April, May, especially in our wheat production, those three months are pretty critical as far as precip. And it starts in March, and the timing on this was just great. So if we can continue this throughout March, April, May, we'll be set up for a pretty good wheat crop. And with prices encouraging many farmers to go for grain, Strawn says with good yields, most fields should be profitable. Something else Scott Strawn would like everyone to know, on Tuesday there's a farmland leasing workshop in Perryton, with presentations by extension economist Justin Benavidez and extension law specialist Tiffany Lashmet. It's really geared for producers in the Texas Panhandle and landowners. Everyone's invited. You don't have to be from Aquatree County, so if you're interested in this sort of thing, come on out. The workshop is 10 a.m. Tuesday at the Ockletree County Expo Center in Perryton. Contact the Extension Service for more information. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. State legislators are considering changes to the Farm Animal Liability Act. Tom Nicoletti reports. We go to Austin for today's program, and Charlie Leal is Texas Farm Bureau State Legislative Director. And Charlie, give us an update on the, the latest in regards to legislation that has been filed uh, that uh, has a lot to do with farm animal liability and what the author of the bill is uh, attempting to accomplish. Uh, yeah, Tom. Uh, so uh, this week, uh, Representative Andrew Murr's bill, HB 365, which seeks to uh, expand the Farm Animal Liability Act, uh, was passed out of the House Judiciary and Civil Jurisprudence Committee uh, on Wednesday, March 17th, with a unanimous vote. The bill will now go to the House Calendars Committee, where it will be considered for, for placement on the on the House calendar. The bill clearly wants to expand current statute that recognizes the inherent risk um, that livestock pose to those attending a, a, an agritourism event, like a livestock show or rodeo. Uh, and so, you know, looking at current statute and that it recognizes that risk, uh, you know, those same animals are on farms and ranches. And and it seems, uh, you know, a little peculiar to have a liability protection from injury caused by a show steer that is, you know, halter broke and accustomed to everyday interaction with people. And, and while we have ranchers and farmers are left without that protection uh, from that liability, uh, caused by livestock, you know, residing in a in a herd on on you know, hundreds of acres, and so it, it, that bill, uh, like I said, it, it is has some movement on it, uh, unanimous vote. Uh, so that is that is um, some that is the first the first big hurdle for the for the bill, and it's on to the House Calendars Committee. So the bill is addressing uh, the liability factor and the inherent risk to. Uh, agricultural producers and their employees while they're on the farm and ranch uh, in the event of some type of uh, accident. Yes, that's uh, stemming from a Texas Supreme Court decision from last summer that uh, ruled against a, a, a rancher who was uh, trying to use current statute uh, that recognized that inherent risk. Um, and the, the Supreme Court interpreted the law, meaning uh, for, it, for it to only uh, be applied to you know these agritourism events. And so this bill seeks to, to correct that and expand that liability protection. 
That is Texas Farm Bureau State Legislative Director Charlie Leal at the state capitol. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Democratic lawmakers in Washington want to once again increase the estate tax, but there's also a move to get rid of it completely. Gary Joyner has more. Lawmakers in both the U.S. House and Senate have introduced legislation to repeal the federal estate tax. When farm and ranch families are hit with the estate tax, they often have to sell assets to cover the expense. That means possibly selling part of the farm and ranch that the family has paid taxes on for years just to pay the tax bill. Right now, the estate tax exemption level is high enough that most farmers and ranchers wouldn't have to pay estate taxes. But there are those on Capitol Hill who want to roll back that exemption and then use that money to pay for their spending priorities. If that were to happen, then the estate tax problem is no longer theoretical. It becomes very real. Real for over 70,000 farm and ranch families across the country in nearly half of all farmland, according to an analysis by the American Farm Bureau Federation. The bipartisan legislation in Congress repeals the estate tax, or so-called death tax. It would be buried, hopefully forever. The bill is a repeat of previous Congresses, So it has many supporters already. There are over 120 co-sponsors on the House side. Let's hope this Congress finally carries the effort across the finish line. The tax code should encourage farm business growth, not add to uncertainty. Eliminating the death tax removes another barrier to entry for sons and daughters or other beginning farmers and ranchers, making agriculture more accessible to all. I'm Gary Joyner for Texas Ag Today. Members of the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance gave testimony to the Senate Agriculture Committee during a recent climate change hearing. Michael Clements reports from Washington. Four witnesses representing the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance testifying to the Senate Agriculture Committee during a climate change hearing Thursday. Arizona Farm Bureau President Stephanie Smallhouse told lawmakers the group supports three principles as to how farmers and ranchers can be part of the solution. A very broad and diverse group of people have come together in the Food and Ag Climate Alliance and put together quite a few recommendations based on three principles, supporting voluntary markets and incentive-based policies. We want to advance science-based outcomes and we want to promote resilience and help rural economies better adapt to changes in the climate. Smallhouse says many farmers are already utilizing climate-smart practices on their farms. Anybody that has implemented renewable energy practices on their farms, precision farming, which limits the amount of nitrogen, cover crop, mulching practices, crop rotations for fixing nitrogen, no-till, we've got conservation tillage, rotational grazing for ranchers in the West. So lots of different things are happening right now. It just depends on where you are and what's applicable and what you can afford, really. She says the Food and Ag Climate Alliance includes the American Farm Bureau Federation, Environmental Defense Fund, National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, and National Farmers Union, providing a unified voice for agriculture. The fact that we're lending a voice to this effort and we're working alongside the Environmental Defense Fund and several different cooperatives and different trade associations in agriculture shows that there's a common thread in this effort that farmers can be part of the solution and that solution should be voluntary and incentive-based, not punitive. And the fact that we're already doing good work and that should be recognized. Learn more at agclimatealliance.com. Michael Clements, Washington. Some federal funding will go to wetland conservation in Texas. I'm Jessica Dolmel and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And there's a commonly diagnosed equine neurological disease called EPM, but it may be a bit overdiagnosed. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. 
This year, National Ag Day celebrates the important contributions of our country's farms and farm families. Join the Agriculture Council of America and our esteemed industry partners on March 23rd as we thank America's farmers for all they provide to our nation and the world. Food brings everyone to the table. Thanks to American Ag. Learn more about Ag Day and the events for March 23rd at agday.org. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. There's an equine neurological disease called EPM. It's very commonly diagnosed. In fact, it might be overdiagnosed. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look. EPM is the acronym for equine protozoal myeloencephalitis. EPM is likely the most overdiagnosed disease in horses, and the reason is twofold. The first reason is the disease is difficult to diagnose, as the tests are suggestive of disease but not confirmatory. The serum tests for the disease are commonly false positive because these tests only check for exposure to the organism and not true infection. Most specialists feel that analysis of cerebral spinal fluid is required to be tested for an accurate diagnosis, and many times this test is not performed due to expense and potential risk of the procedure. So lots of times the disease is diagnosed on clinical signs only, and this is the second reason for incorrect diagnosis, as clinical signs of the disease are vague and multiple, so it is impossible to be sure of the diagnosis using only clinical signs. Symptoms include wobbling, weakness, atypical lameness, behavior changes, facial paralysis, difficulty swallowing, and muscle atrophy. So you can see these signs could be caused by multiple diseases. Any stressful event, like other infections, pregnancy, heavy exercise, or surgery, can decrease the horse's immunity and increase the chance of infection. The disease is caused by a protozoan that is found in the feces of opossums, and this is the reason some folks refer to it as that opossum disease although the opossums only carry the infective agent. The disease cannot be transmitted from horse to horse, and there are multiple treatments for the disease. Many horses are treated for this disease that are likely not even infected, so it is important to try and get an accurate diagnosis because the treatment is expensive and not 100% successful. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Some federal funding will go to wetland conservation here in Texas. Jessica Nomal has the details in today's wildlife report. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is investing more than $900,000 in conserving priority wetland habitats for migratory birds and other wildlife in Texas. It's all part of $28 million that USDA is investing in 10 projects through the Wetland Reserve Enhancement Partnership, or WREP. The funding in Texas will go to the Texas Midcoast Initiative by Ducks Unlimited. The project seeks to enroll nearly 700 acres of wetlands to conserve priority wetland habitats for migratory birds and other state and federally listed species through restoration and enhancement efforts. The project will also work to improve habitat conditions for fish and wildlife and to improve the overall health and freshwater flow of streams and riparian areas into coastal bays and estuaries. Terry Cosby, acting chief of USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service, says wetlands have tremendous benefits from cleaner water, flood prevention, to enhancing wildlife, and carbon sequestration. He says wetlands are like a sponge. They soak up and filter water. It's just a filter system, just like we would do with an intake system on, a, on, a, on some of these uh, water filter systems out there. So wetlands have served that function for a lot of years, and we love it because it's a, just a natural filter that if you just do a little bit, maybe a little enhancement or uh, some restoration, 
and and get some some different type species of grasses in there or whatever. It just serves as a big filter. That was Terry Cosby, acting chief of USDA NRCS. Looking to get involved in wetland restoration projects? Check with your local USDA service center. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. It was a mostly lower day for cattle, cotton, and wheat on Friday. We'll take a complete look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Do you know what to do if you're stuck on the railroad crossing? Get out of your vehicle. If a train is not approaching, find the blue and white emergency notification system sign on the traffic signs at the crossing. For help, call the number on the sign and give them the crossing number so they know your location and can alert train traffic. Remember, find the blue and white to save your life. For more information, visit OLI.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It was another bearish day in the commodity markets on Friday. We ended up closing lower again on cattle, cotton, and wheat. However, we did see a higher close in the corn market. We'll start with the livestock. Cattle first. April live cattle down 17 cents on Friday, 118.40. June down 97 at 118.67. August live cattle dropped a dollar 25, 117.77. March feeder cattle down 85 cents, 134.67. April feeders down two dollars, one thirty-nine forty-two. May feeder cattle contract down a dollar ninety-five, one forty-four sixty-seven. Cash fed cattle market finally saw an increase after six weeks of being stuck at one fourteen. Live prices reached as high as one sixteen over the past week. However, that one sixteen level that came up in the Midwest. Those were on Midwest cattle. When you look here in the South in Texas. We were still stuck. 114 moved most of our cattle. The exception being some cattle that sold on the online Fed Cattle Exchange. They brought 114 and a quarter to 114.50. Boxed beef prices on Friday were higher. Choice up $1.48 at 230.09. Select up $2 to 2011. Let's check the auction barns now. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Neighbor, let's travel a little bit. We'll ride with our cowboy crew down to Carnes County Livestock down Kennedy Way. Speak with Chris Carter. Chris, we always thank the folks that do business with us first, don't we? Yes, sir, Larry. We do want to thank all of our consigners and our buyers. Last week, we ended up with 757 head of cattle, and the market was definitely stronger on the feeders and remained steady on the packers. Let's walk the pins. Number one steers, two to three weight, 147 to 177.50. Three and four is 149 to 175. Four and five weights, 149 to 190. Five and six is 140 to 163. Six and seven is 131 to 155. And the seven and eight weights, a buck 29 to 137. On the heifers, two to three weight, 138 to 185. Three and four is 132 to 155. Four and five weights, 134 to 155. Five and six is 126 to 155. Six and seven is 116 to 133. And the seven and eight weights, 98 to a dollar. We had eight packer bulls last week. High yielding was 86 up to 91 and a half. Medium 74 to 79 and the low end 58 to 64. We had 97 packer cows. High yielding 57 up to 63. Medium 48 to 52 and the low end 29 to 34. We only had a handful. We only had one bred cow last week and that was she brought 1,035 and no test on the pairs as well. 
What do you got under the barn for this week's sale? Well, at the present time, we've got 212 standing under the barn back there and looking for about maybe 300 come sale time. We've got 37 Packer cows and bulls, 12 to be palpated, and a handful of pears and the rest are yardens. Tell everybody how to contact you. If you've got any questions, please call Wen and Rouse at 361-542-0810 or myself at 210-286-5345. And remember, on April 1st, we do have a small sellout of about 30 Charlotte cows. We appreciate you, Chris. Thank you a bunch. We'll talk with you before the next sale. Yes, sir. Thank you. Neighbor, that's it for Walking the Pens, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm your host, Larry Marble. Good day. Thank you, Larry. Back over to the futures market now, where lean hogs close slightly lower on Friday. April hogs down a nickel, 94.25. May down seven cents, 94.92. Class three milk was lower. March milk down a penny, 16.25. April milk down 35 cents, 16.99. A hundredweight. The cotton market closed lower again. U.S. and China meeting in Alaska on Friday. That meeting got a little heated, and that was unsettling for all of the markets, especially the cotton market. May cotton down 77 points, closing at 84.68. The December down 8 points at 82.51. The wheat market wrapped up the week lower. The biggest news in the wheat market all of the past week has been the fact that we've gotten beneficial rains from here in Texas all the way up through the Great Plains into the Dakotas, and that's put pressure on the market all week long. Other than that, not a whole lot of news to trade on. So July Kansas City wheat was down another penny Friday, five ninety-one and a quarter. July Chicago wheat down two and three quarters, six nineteen and a quarter. About the only higher prices that we saw on Friday was in the corn market. May corn was up eleven and a quarter, five fifty-seven and three quarters. September corn up three and a quarter, four eighty-nine and a half. December corn up three and a half at four seventy-one and a half. In the energy markets, April natural gas up a nickel, two fifty-three. April crude oil up a dollar fifty-nine at sixty-one fifty-nine a barrel. The financial markets mixed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down one hundred nineteen points, thirty-two thousand seven forty-three. The Nasdaq up a hundred two at thirteen thousand two nineteen. The S and P five hundred up nine at three thousand nine twenty-four. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.